Well, all right. Good morning, Hills family. How we doing? So good to see you guys on this Labor Day weekend. And uh, for all of you who are watching online, we're grateful that you are here joining us. Maybe you're joining us from another place that's not as hot as Central California right there. Speaking of that, our family up in Nevada, we're so glad that you're joining us. Thankfully, you're probably thinking, God, that you're not in the Central Valley right now, but uh, it's hot. And uh, all our other campuses that are meeting around, we got Old Town. Where are you at, Old Town? So good to be with you guys last week. And then ultimately, we got our Tulare Street campus. Hello. Uh, I, left, I left that one for last because I have news about our Tulare Street campus. Uh, pastor Brandon, who is our uh, campus pastor at our Tulare Street campus, his wife is in labor as we speak and having a baby. Yeah. Brandon called me at 5 o'clock this morning and says, we're having a baby. I said, no, your wife's having a baby. You chill out, bro. You. Wife has a whole lot more to do than you do, my man. Anyway, uh, we need to just keep praying for them. Everything's well on that. Hey, um, I, I didn't do this 9 o'clock, but I want to do this, this service. I just want to say how proud I am to be uh, not only just a pastor at Clovis Hills, but to be part of the family at Clovis Hills. Did you hear the announcement about all the care ministries that we have at Clovis Hills, where we're just taking people right where they're at and pointing them to Jesus and just caring for people, loving on people? I'm so proud that we have a church like that, aren't you guys? So kudos. And if you're at any of our campuses, uh, we heard an announcement about our care ministry and that just classes that all of you guys could be involved in, uh, that any hurts, habits, hangups, or just anything that you might go in through crisis-wise, uh, Clovis Hills, the Hills family is there for you guys as well. So I'm just so proud of that. I just wanted to throw that out there. Hey, we're going to continue on in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, an iPad, an iPhone, however you access the Word of God, I want you to meet me in Acts chapter 11. Get to Acts chapter 11, and uh, we're going to get there in just a little bit, but I want to tell you a few things, namely about a young lady. There's a young lady who, uh, as a child, went to church, uh, but as soon as she hit those teen years, she kind of drifted away from the church and the gospel, and she had given her heart to Jesus when she was little, but just life happened, and she began to work on her testimony, and she was in her early 20s, and she woke up one Sunday morning after a really rough weekend and realized this was not the life for her. Something had to change in her life. She needed to get back to that God that she knew when she was just a kid, and so she decided to get up and go to church. There was a little old church just right down the street from her house, and she didn't know much about that church, but she says, I just need to get back to God, and so I'm going to go, and I'm going to go to that church. And so she opened her closet and realized she didn't have what many would call church clothes, you know? And so she put on what she had, you know? She was desperate to get to God. So as she put on her clothes, she just put on some shorts and a, and a T-shirt and said, this is all I have, God, but, but I'm so desperate, I need to get back to you. So she walked to that little church and she purposely got there a few minutes late so she could sneak into the back hoping that nobody noticed her. And then as the pastor wrapped it up, she was hoping to escape. And as she was walking out, the pastor actually ended his sermon and was in the back to greet people and ran right into her. And the pastor looks at this young lady dressed in her shorts and shirt and pastor says, now dear, I don't know where you come from, but this is not how you dress in the house of God. So I want you to go home this week and I want you to ask God, pray and ask God, 
what is appropriate to wear to church. So her just so desperate to get close to God and this coming from a pastor, she said, sir, I will do that. I will go home and pray. And certainly she did. Every single day she got up and says, Lord, I'm just trying to connect with you. I knew you once. I'm just trying to get back home. And pastor asked me to ask you, what am I supposed to wear at church? And she prayed that prayer every single day. And Sunday came around and nothing changed in her wardrobe. She put on those shorts and maybe they were just a little bit too short and She put on that shirt, and yeah, maybe it was just a little bit too tight, but she wanted, she was so desperate to get back to God, so she walked herself and her shorts and her shirt back to that church, and she snuck in late, hoping not to see the pastor again, because she knew he was going to ask her that question. But sure enough, at the end of the service, the pastor caught her, said, young lady, I'm so glad you're back, but I see you're still wearing what what you were wearing last week. Did you get a chance to ask God the question, What are you supposed to wear? What is appropriate to wear at this church? And she said, Pastor, I asked him that question. And he said, well, what did he say? Did he give you an answer? She said, he did give me an answer. And he goes, well, what's the answer? And she looked right at him with an innocent face and said, he told me he's not sure what the appropriate attire is at that church because he hasn't been at this church in a long time. Look at your neighbor and said, here we go. This is that kind of sermon. Here we go. (laughs) Acts chapter 11, we're going to talk about Peter's experience. Acts chapter 10, Pastor Sean did an amazing job last week. And and if you remember, he talked about how we need to be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. And he he compared the experience between Cornelius and, and Peter and how God was using both of them to, find, to, to accomplish his goal and get them together to, to help us understand that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people, but it's for everybody, the whole world. And unless you're Jewish here today, the rest of us are what we'd consider Gentiles. So the gospel is for everybody, including us, us Gentiles. And if you remember the, the uh, dream Peter had that he was sleeping and a sheet came and he saw all the animals getting on that sheet and... God said, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter's like, I can't do that. Those, those, those animals are unclean. I can't do that. And, and God says, you don't call anything unclean that I created. You get up and eat. And what he was showing Peter was that the gospel is for everybody. It started out with these Jewish fishermen and this Jewish rabbi named Jesus, but it has spread and it's about to explode all over the world. So the gospel is for everybody. And so what we find right here in chapter 11 is Peter coming back to Jerusalem And when he comes back to Jerusalem, he finds a group of Jewish believers antagonistic towards him and what he did up in Antioch with non-Jewish people. And in fact, before I read the main passage, I want to just show you this verse here, put it up on the screen, Uh, chapter 11, verse 2. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, thank God we are not referred to that anymore, the circumcised believers criticized Peter. They criticized him. This is what he said. He said, when you went, I I can't believe it, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Like you went there, wait, you went up and you ate with those people? And you sat in those people's homes? And you loved on those people and you talked with those people? Like, you don't understand. We're Jewish people. We don't do that. That's against our customs. That's against our religion. And so what Peter does, this first part of chapter 11, is begin to describe to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem about his dream. And he retells his dream. 
He, read, he told his dream in, in chapter 10, or we read about his dream in chapter 10, the whole dream, and now we have him explaining the whole dream again. That is significant. I'm going to... I'm going to geek out for you in just a minute. I'm just going to like Bible geek on you. Can I do that? Because I found this is so cool. Like this was so fascinating. I learned this this week. So here's my Bible geekness right here. Chapter 10, Peter tells the whole dream. Chapter 11, Peter tells the whole dream. What we need to understand and why this is so significant is because Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, Luke wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. In those days... Papyrus, you know, the, the, the stuff they wrote on was not like just everywhere like paper is today. Or it's certainly like, not like our computers where we can just type, 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 save into the cloud, type, 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 erase because I don't like that. that it, you know what I mean? It, it was like once you wrote it, it was written and you only had a limited amount of space on this paper because it was expensive. And yet Luke, this is where my geekiness comes out, Luke took the time and more importantly, the actual space on the paper, which was valuable, to retell this dream in its entirety twice. Now, why did he do that? How come he didn't just say in chapter 11, you know what I talked about in chapter 10, let's move on, save him a whole lot of space. The reason why is I believe he wanted to point out how serious the situation was in Jerusalem. How serious the gospel almost fell into this, this category that would eventually just become perhaps a Jewish cult or at best Jewish sect. It was literally hanging in the balance. The gospel was out there. Only Jewish people had heard it. Uh, only Jewish people were responding to it. And the Jews of the day were thinking, this is just for me. This is just for us. He's our Messiah. It's not for the whole world. And you don't understand, and I think Luke wanted us to understand how important Peter's dream was. How important it was for us to understand that the gospel is for everybody. And it really was hanging in the balance. Peter could have went home and said, you guys are right. And it would have just folded into a Jewish sect, another Jewish sect. And we would not be here today. But instead, God wanted us to understand that the gospel is for everybody, even those people. Even those people. And today I want to talk about that right after we read our passage. About the gospel and the depth of the grace that we encounter when we encounter Jesus. So if you are able to join me in chapter 11, starting with verse 18, in honor of God's word, if you're able to stand as we read together starting in verse 18. It says, when they heard this, and that's the, that's the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying that even the Gentile, I mean, I'm sorry, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenician, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, went from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to uh, Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught them in great numbers to the people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is God's word. You may be seated. So the church at Jerusalem, the Jewish people that were gathered, they heard that there was this revival, this movement of God happening, but it wasn't with Jewish people. It was with those people. And they were like, this can't be. I mean, Peter, I understood your dream, and that's great, but, but God's really moving up there in Antioch. And if you know anything about Antioch, Antioch was this crazy city. It was wild. Third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a port city, and so anything went to Antioch. And they couldn't believe that God would be moving in Antioch, that God's grace would even reach those people. And so they said, Barnabas, they all loved Barnabas. And said, Barnabas, you're a good dude. You go up to Antioch and you check it out. You let us know if this is real. And I love what Barnabas said. He said he got to Antioch and he saw God's movement happening and God's grace was sufficient for everybody. And they were all praising God. And there was numbers and lots of people just coming to know Christ. The gospel is not only just for us, but it's for those people. And I want to talk about grace this morning because what we're seeing in this chapter is an example of God's grace. Not, not, not just grace like on a surfacey level, but the depth and richness of God's grace. You see, if you're here today and you say that you're a follower of Christ, you're a Ian. You know, the last verse we read, it says they were first called Christians at Antioch. Not in Jerusalem, not among the Jewish people, but among these Greeks who are coming to know Christ. And we all know, like, I'm not that great at English, as you could tell. I, blah, blah, blah. But if you put the suffix I-A-N on anything, what that refers to is the word and you attach it, it refers to belonging to. And so when they say they were first called Christians, it means we belong, those of you who have given your life to Christ, belong to Christ. It's better than Jesians, right? Like Jesusians. Christians, and we belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you understand the depth of God's grace. You understand that, that it's not this surfacey religious thing, but it goes deep. And it could forgive whatever sin that we're entangled in. And God's ready to forgive any sin that we're entangled in. And there's no sin that's out of reach of the unconditional, unwavering love of God. If you're here today and you think that you're caught up in something that God can't forgive, then you are absolutely wrong. God's grace is bigger than that. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and you say to, to, to yourself or to others that I don't believe God can forgive those people, then you don't understand the depth of God's grace. He can forgive anybody. He can forgive anyone this is who God is, relentlessly chasing us because of his love and grace for us. I want to just talk to you real quick about two things. I got two points real quick about God's grace that I think if we could just remember these, it'll help us be Ian's, Christ followers, 
and help us share this gospel message, this transforming gospel message to the rest of the world, even to those people. And that's the first one is this. Grace is about God, not about you. Now write that down because that's important. We need to understand this concept. Grace is about God, not about you. Tim Keller said it best. Tim Keller says that it's not our faith. It's not about the quality of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. You see, so many times we get trapped into thinking like, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you these gifts and I'm so talented and so I, I'm gonna give that to you, Lord. And, and that's great, we should. We should give our service and talents and gifts and treasures to God. But we should only give those out of the depth of grace in which we've been spared and let that bring up our gifts and talents and treasures and offer those to the Lord. He doesn't look at us and say, man, I really need you, Hinman. There's nobody like you. I mean, he does say that, but in a different context. He doesn't say, now, Scott, I really need you, man. You're the only one who can give this message. And if you don't give this message, I don't know what I'm going to do. He doesn't do that. I get the privilege of giving this message today because I have experienced the life-transforming message of the gospel, and that grace has changed me. And I so desperately want you to hear that same message. And it's only in that context that I get to serve our king because we have been changed. Grace is deep. If you think about this whole idea that it's not about you, it's about God and his grace, you're not alone if you think that's a weird concept. We just tend to do it all the time. Take, for example, Abraham. Abraham 100 years old, his wife Sarah is 90 years old, and God comes to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child, and out of that child is going to birth many nations. I'm 100 years old. My wife is 90. How are we going to have a child? I can't walk up the stairs without catching my breath, let alone do anything else that might cause more breathing, if you go what I mean. How is this going to happen? And God says this to Abraham, you don't worry about that. It's not about you, Abraham. It's about me and my promise and my command. And I will use whoever I want to use. And I'm going to choose to use you. That's God's grace. Think about Moses. He went to Moses and he said, Moses, I need you to go back to the Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, but, 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 but. But, but, but. And he wasn't even rapping. He had a stutter issue. He's like, I don't speak so well. And God said, Moses, I've ordained you for this time. I put you aside for this place. You've understood what it means to have a relationship with me, and I choose you. It's not about you, Moses. It's about me and what I'm going to accomplish. You see, God's not. Grace is not about us. It's about God. It's about keeping focus on the object of our faith. That's God's grace. Man, Jonah, he just told God straight up, no. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nope, I'm out, God. See ya. Boom. <laughs> he taught Jonah a good lesson after that. It's about God's grace. It's not about you. If you're not getting that concept, let me, let, let me try to moderate. Let, let me tell you a modern story. Maybe, maybe this will wrap up this concept that it's not 
about us, it's about God. I, many, many, many years ago in my marriage, I learned a very valuable lesson. You see, I was trying to be this great husband and I heard my wife talking about how we need a new toaster. Yeah, oh, you know where this is going, Uh uh-oh. We only had one of those toasters that had the two slots, you know, and we were a growing family, we needed more toast. And they were skinny and we needed thicker ones so we could put the good bagels in. Who doesn't love a good toasted bagel, you know what I mean? And so, my wife's birthday was coming. I don't even have to say, you know where this is going. It goes real bad. I went to Walmart, which was my second worst decision that I made that morning. And I bought this nice red toaster, four slots wide to put those bagels in. I went home and I wrapped it. Beautiful gift. Put it at my wife's feet and said, happy birthday, honey. And she was like, you got me a gift. I said, I got you a gift. And she unwrapped it. And as she unwrapped it, she saw it was a toaster. And she said, oh, a toaster. (laughs) Gentlemen, if you don't already know. (laughs) Young men, the moment your lady says, oh, in front of any statement, you know she doesn't like it. I'm just saying. She says, oh, a toaster. And I said, we can have bagels now. Oh, we could have bagels now. (laughs) I wasn't as intuitive back then. And I realized as the day went on, there was something going on that was not right with my wife. And so I approached her. I said, honey, do you not like the gift? And she said, the gift was fine. We needed a toaster. And I'm like, what's the problem then? (laughs) I was very young. This was bad. She said, we needed a toaster, but I wanted something, and I was hoping that you would give me what I wanted, not what I needed. Oh. And all she wanted was a plant. I could have went down to Lowe's, spent less than a toaster on this plant. I could have won. And then she said, the difference is, that we needed a toaster because you wanted toasted bagels. Don't we do that with God? Don't we offer him up our faith and say, God, I'll give you this and this and and in return this is all I want. Or I'll go to church, but Lord bless me because of that. Or, Or God, here's my faith and my faith is strong as long as you do what I tell you to do, then, then my faith is gonna be really strong. I have incredibly strong faith as long as you do what I want. See, grace is not about us, it's about God. Our faith is not about us, it's about God. And yeah, sometimes he'll do what we want, but, but what about the faith when he doesn't? Where's our faith in? Are we able to cling to a faith that, that is strong even when God isn't doing what we've asked him to do? When we're sick and we we ask him, God, heal me. Will our faith still be strong if he doesn't heal us? And what if he just tells us that you're sick because I'm going to use you and your story to make well lots of other people so that they can hear the gospel? Would you cling to your faith then? 
You see, the gospel, God's grace isn't about us. It's about him and what he wants to accomplish. And that's the depth of grace. And we gladly do it, church. You know why? Because we've uh, experienced the forgiveness that comes with God's grace. And I don't know about you, but I've tried a whole lot of those sins. And I need a lot of forgiving in my life. And he wants to use his church to be the instrument to get that message of grace out to everybody. So God's, God's grace isn't about you, it's about God. Number two, if you're writing this down, I want you to understand this concept. Grace is comforting, but it's not comfortable. Grace is comforting, but by all means it's not comfortable. In fact, I would challenge you today that if you are comfortable with this concept of grace, there might be some conversations you need to have with God. See, there's two things that the Holy Spirit does. In Acts chapter 1, we remember that Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came. And so if you are Christ Christians, Christians today, you are followers of Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, living in you. And the Holy Spirit does a couple of things. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is comfort you. When you need comfort, if you're going through some trials and tribulations, if you've got some pain, the Holy Spirit will come and comfort you. But the Holy Spirit will not leave you where you are at. He not only comforts, he convicts. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And as we are trying to grow closer to the heart of God, as we are trying to, to, to have this relationship with God, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us when we get off the path. The Holy Spirit's job is to say, hey, 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 this is not edifying to God. This, in fact, has distracted you from a relationship with God. Will you get back on track? And it's that still small voice in our heart that, that continues to lead us in that journey. You see, grace does not demand that we give all these things to God. We do that because we've experienced God's grace. We give all of this to God. We, we understand because we've experienced God's grace that all of it's his anyway. And that really all he wants is our heart. That's all he wants. He, he wants a relationship with us, the God of the universe, extending his grace. You see, every other religion in the world will say that you have to be good enough, that you have to work harder, that you have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to have the checklist. And then maybe you'll be able to reach God or get close to it. But Christianity, us Christians, Jesus is the only one who said, forget that, you can't get to us. You can't get to God. So we're gonna come down to you. And he sent his son to die on a cross. He knew there was nothing that we could do to get to him, so he came to us. Isn't that good news? That's God's grace. And that while it's great that we get God's comfort through the Holy Spirit, we cannot neglect that voice that corrects us. It's called conviction. And we are trying every day to get closer to the heart of God. And we do get entangled with sin sometimes. I understand that. But God's grace is bigger than any struggle or sin that you're going through. And he just says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Just come closer. Just, I forgive you. Just come closer. And that's the conviction of God, and we cannot ignore that voice. There's some of you in this room right now 
You're like, Pastor, you have no idea what I even did last night. You have no idea the sin I'm struggling with. There's no way God can forgive me. And I'm telling you right now, you are wrong. You are wrong. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. And he's just calling you closer to his heart. And even in our struggles and pains, it's okay. It's not about us anyway. It's about God and growing, growing closer to his heart. That's God's grace. So today, you may be uncomfortable, but that's okay. Because God's doing a work in you. Look what it says in Acts chapter 11, verses 22 and 23. This is what Barnabas witnessed in the church in Antioch with the Greeks. He says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And that's the same message for us today. When, when I was going over this passage, something struck me. And I didn't know if I wanted to share it, but but I think I ought to share it because I think it might speak to somebody today. It certainly spoke to me. You know, I talked about the church in balance. Like it was hanging in the balance. There was, there was a point where the, that early group of believers could have just folded into a, a Jewish sect. But God said, no, the gospel's for everybody. And as I was reading that, I was like, wow, how tough that must have been to stand up to those Jewish believers and say, no, 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 you don't understand the depth of my God's grace. It's so deep that it's for everybody. There's no such thing in God's kingdom. There's no such thing in God's vocabulary as those people. There's no such thing. If you are a believer today and you think that God can't reach those people, I hate to say it, but let's do a heart check. You're wrong. The gospel's for everybody. No matter the depth of a sin, it doesn't matter. That's how deep God's love is. And so I began to think how hard it must have been in the early church to convince the Jewish believers. And then I had this overwhelming thought. And guys, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I'm not trying to make a political statement. Um, and if this angers you, like, just talk about it to God. But I had this overwhelming thought that I'm not sure the church in America is much further past where the early Jewish believers were. Like we have this thing called nationalism that it seems like the church in America is just falling, falling in line with this thing called nationalism and they equate country and God as the same. And I know I'm stepping on some people's toes today, but I think it's just, we, we need to at least examine it and talk about it in your small groups. Because as a Christian, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, God commands us, and it's out of his great depth and grace that we've been saved that bubbles up in us, that we put nothing besides God. We put nothing above him. We don't even put him on the same level as God. And that includes the love for our country. And we are so close to just having Christianity in America fold into this thing as opposed to being a movement of God that could literally sweep through our land and change the landscape. You want to change the culture of our country? Share the grace of God with them. It's the only thing that will change. 
so church, I challenge you this morning. I know the wrap-up music's here. I get it. I'm moving on. But I want to challenge you. We have been saved by this wonderful thing, God's grace, God's unmerited favor towards us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it like we sing in the song. But God gives it anyway, and we've been transformed to buy it. So today, if you're here, and you've never experienced that grace, God's unmerited favor, his unconditional love for us. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day. You're not here by accident. You didn't just come to hear this strange-looking dude, you know, on the stage and then just go to lunch afterwards. No, you had a divine appointment. And, the, and what you are feeling right now is God's Holy Spirit convicting you, saying, come home. It's time to come home. The Bible calls that salvation. The Bible calls it that, that we have a choice. We are sinners separated from God, but God sent his son to die on a cross for us. And through the shedding of blood, we can have relationship with God through his son. And the Bible says that through as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. In fact, Revelation says that Jesus is standing at our heart's door and he's knocking. And if anybody opens the door, he, we'll let him in. And he'll come in and he will live with us. And we can have a relationship with us. You see, God wants your heart more than your talent. God wants your heart more than your finances. But once he grows a hold of your heart, he loves you so much, he's not going to leave you where you're at. He wants you to grow in Him and your hearts to become closer together in that relationship. He doesn't want a toaster. He wants you. And so if that's you today, you just invite Him to come into your life. You ask Him to forgive. Just pray a prayer like this, something like this to say, Lord, I need you. I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and make me the kind of person you want me to be. The Bible says that God will honor that and he will come in and that Holy Spirit will dwell in you and you can begin that relationship with him today. Let's pray.